Welcome to Gravity, a podcast on the environment and human rights issues from the local to the global. For centuries, various entrepreneurs have wanted to build a canal connecting the Pacific and the Atlantic Oceans through Nicaragua. In fact, it was one of the routes assessed by the US before it settled in Panama, and Daniel Ortega's government is currently attempting the 73rd try with a Chinese billionaire. The concession to build the canal provided to the Chinese company, the Hong Kong-Nicaragua Canal Development Group, was hastily rushed through Nicaragua's National Assembly, and there were no formal bids for the contract. At around 186 miles, or around 300 kilometers in length, the proposed canal will be three times longer than the Panama Canal and will require removal and or cause pollution to millions of hectares of forests, reserves, wetlands and two biospheres in one of the most biodiverse regions in the world. The canal's proposed route will also run through Nicaragua's main freshwater supply, Lake Nicaragua, and its UNESCO-protected biosphere reserve, Ometepe. The lake will have to be dredged to nearly twice its size to accommodate the large-scale shipping proposed to run through it, and dams will have to be built on both sides, polluting the lake, its connecting rivers and surrounding lands, as well as severely depleting Nicaragua's already fragile freshwater supply. The canal will also affect ecosystems outside of Nicaragua, including fragile reefs within the seaflower biosphere reserve. Further, the canal will run through a highly seismic area, through areas prone to flooding, within a hurricane belt, and worse, the Hong Kong-Nicaragua Canal Development Group has no experience in construction of this nature. Apart from the drastic environmental consequences that will follow the construction of this canal, whether or not the canal is built, the Nicaraguan government has taken the ancestral communal lands of autonomous indigenous and Afro-Caribbean communities whose way of life depends on their continued occupation of their land without their proper consultation and without their consent. Displaced from their ancestral lands, which may soon turn into hotel resorts, they will lose their way of life and in the case of the Rama, possibly their language. In today's podcast, we will discuss this egregious breach of the Indigenous and Afro-Caribbean communities' rights with Professor Thomas Nkowiak, who teaches international public law and international human rights law at Seattle University's Law School. He is the director of its Latin America program and its international human rights clinic and is currently arguing on behalf of the communities in various human rights fora. Hi, Thomas. Thank you so much for being on Gravity today. You're welcome. It's, It's a pleasure to be here. So what are the social and environmental effects of the proposed canal? Well, this has been called the world's largest infrastructure project, right? We're talking about a $50 billion inter-ocean canal. Uh, It could be three times as long, almost twice as deep as the Panama Canal. And, of course, they also intend to build all these side projects like seaports, railways, highways, an oil pipeline, resorts, etc. So clearly this can affect thousands of Nicaraguan property owners. A significant portion of the route that they've announced intrudes upon the communal lands of various indigenous and Afro-Caribbean communities in Nicaragua. And so this includes the autonomous territories of the Creoles, the indigenous groups such as the Suma and the Rama. We're talking about displacement that could cause major social, cultural, and economic consequences. For example, the Rama people, they're the last speakers of the Rama language. So if they're dispersed, their language could be silenced forever. Of course, there's lots of potential environmental effects. The planned route would slice through wetlands, nature reserves, and rainforests. Uh, Lake Nicaragua, which is Central America's largest body of fresh water, 
faces particular danger, one third of the canal could cross the lake, so the lake itself would need to be dredged quite a bit. And so the digging would then, of course, contaminate the water, which is a key source of drinking water for the entire country. Many biologists, certain biologists that I've had the uh, privilege of, of working with and meeting, have stated that the canal would cause nothing less than an environmental disaster, destroying around 400,000 hectares of rainforests and wetlands, including some of the most important ecosystems in Central America. So did the Nicaraguan government adequately inform and consult with its people, in particular its indigenous and Afro-Caribbean communities, in its decision to construct this canal? Not at all. As you've probably been following, back in 2013, uh, President Ortega pushed this bill through Congress, right? There was very little debate, hardly, there was no bidding process at all which granted a 50-year renewable concession to Chinese billionaire Wang Jing and his corporation, which is the Hong Kong-Nicaragua Canal Development Investment Company. So it's clear that the consent of the communities was never obtained. It wasn't even attempted. To the contrary, many employees of the corporation have crossed into the lands and left markings of the canal's planned route, but they've left no explanation with those communities. In other cases, information was just quickly presented without any opportunity for a meaningful exchange or debate with these community members. And there's also reports, very serious reports, that Ortega's government has attempted to coerce or to bribe certain community members to obtain their agreement. Uh, right. And when they coerced and bribed, they also misinformed them in some instances that they gave them a contract they didn't understand. And now they're claiming that they have consented to the construction of the canal because they were either bribed and or signed contracts they didn't understand. Exactly. So the the process has, has been conducted in very bad faith, um, to my understanding, and to the reports that I've received. Did Ortega's government violate the constitutional rights of its indigenous and Afro-Caribbean communities in taking away their land without proper consultation, information, and consent? There are provisions that guarantee the rights of indigenous and Afro-Caribbean communities to their culture, to their collective territories, etc. My colleague, uh, Maria Luisa Costa, uh, an attorney in Nicaragua, was, in, was involved in representing many of these communities before the Supreme Court. Now, she challenged the constitutionality of the law, right, that, that granted the concession to the Chinese billionaire. But uh, back in 2013, in December, the Supreme Court denied this petition, and there was very little reasoning or or logic for its decision. For this reason, we've turned to international human rights mechanisms because it's clear that even though their rights exist on paper in Nicaragua, courts are not willing to enforce these rights. So in your opinion, did Nicaragua violate international law by denying its indigenous people prior and informed consent respecting the construction of the canal, in particular the United Nations Declaration on the Rights of Indigenous People? Absolutely. Uh, first, let me talk a little bit about the legal framework in the inter-American system, and then I'll touch a bit on your question about the UN Declaration. I think the key here is a decision called Saramaka People versus Suriname. Um, and in that decision by the inter-American court, um, the court said that states have to comply with three different safeguards when we're talking about development on ancestral territories. First of all, the state has to ensure the effective participation of the community in conformity with their customs and traditions regarding any type of developmental plan within their territory. Secondly, the state has to guarantee that the community will receive a reasonable benefit from such projects. And third, the state has to prevent concessions until an environmental and social impact assessment or study is performed. 
And so getting to your question of uh, prior informed consent, effective and meaningful participation is, is one way of categorizing consent. With respect to participation or effective participation, Corda said that the states have a duty to actively consult with the community, and that requires good faith efforts starting at early stages of the developmental plan. Now, why do I keep talking about the Inter-American Court, by the way? Well, the court is uh, very influential in the region, um, and Nicaragua in particular has um, has ratified the American Convention, which the Inter-American Court interprets, so it's binding law. And of course, Nicaragua has accepted the jurisdiction of the court, and Nicaragua actually I defended a case against the court, the leading indigenous rights case, uh, which, of course, Nicaragua lost, called Alice Tigny. This was back in 2000, which dealt with indigenous land rights. So all this jurisprudence, all this case law is directly applicable to, to Nicaragua and to the canal situation. So getting, like, particularly to, the, to your point of consent, the court has talked about how when there's large-scale development projects, clearly, you know, like the context of the Nicaraguan Canal project, States have a duty not only to consult, but they also must obtain the community's free prior and informed consent according to its customs and tradition. So there, we couldn't be talking about a more enormous project than the Nicaraguan Canal Initiative. So clearly, uh, according to binding inter-American law, Nicaragua needs to ensure, uh, needs to obtain the free prior and informed consent of these communities. Right, and to obtain informed consent, it must actually tell them what's happening, but they haven't conducted their own environmental impact assessment, but rather the Hong Kong company has contracted out to for another private company to conduct an environmental impact assessment that only took a year. And uh, the, I believe Centro Humboldt, which is a mm-hmm. Nicaraguan group, did their own assessment and said that what they have been telling people is completely inadequate. It's just going to wreak an environmental disaster. Now, you are the head of Seattle Law's International Human Rights Clinic, and you've submitted a petition alongside Nicaraguan Indigenous and Afro-Caribbean groups, including the RAMA, claiming human rights violations to the Inter-American Commission on Human Rights. And this is currently still being considered? Yes, that, that's that's correct. So may you please explicate a bit more about your petition? Sure. So as I was um, mentioning before, the international law is clearly on our side. Um, The Inter-American Commission on Human Rights has received our petition where we've submitted a request for precautionary measures before this commission, um, which is essentially uh, like an injunction uh, requesting that, that Nicaragua stop proceeding upon these, this initiative, the Nicaraguan Canal mega project, until it has obtained the consent of the affected communities. We're working in this project, in this petition, along with uh, the Nicaraguan Center for Legal Assistance to Indigenous Peoples and, and leaders from several indigenous and Afro-Caribbean communities. The precautionary measures uh, won't be binding, so to speak. It's not the, the Inter-American Commission, which is part of the, the Inter-American System of Human Rights Protection of the Hemisphere, is very influential, but its, its measures and its instructions don't have a binding quality. Um, for that, you would need to go to the Inter-American Court of Human Rights. 
the basis of this petition, again, is because there's a serious risk of irreparable harm to these communities, in particular to their ways of life and their culture. So when there's a risk of irreparable harm to, to fundamental rights, you can apply to the commission and obtain precautionary measures or sort of a stay and injunctive relief in order to safeguard uh, their rights. So that's what we're doing in this case. Uh, and I have to say that... Uh, I'm not sure if you've, you've heard about Belo Monte, which was a which was a similar type petition that the Inter-American Commission received back in 2011. That petition, which involved Brazil, the commission requested that Brazil stop construction on this power plant, a very large project in endangered indigenous communities. Well, the commission agreed and and, re, and requested a halt, uh, stop order on construction. And Brazil was very unhappy. <laughs> Brazil withdrew its ambassador from the Organization of American States, which oh. is the parent organization of the Inter-American Commission Human Rights, stopped paying dues to the OAS, which of course was uh, very concerning uh, to the Inter-American Commission and to uh, the OAS. So really it was a stack of dominoes that fell and the commission ended up weaker, institutionally weaker and politically weaker as a result of the Belomonte decision. And so you can imagine that our petition, uh, which we have been insisting upon before the Inter-American Commission, and we've sent several, several briefs in support, is really making the commission nervous. And this is an issue that where a lot of the international law is on our side. However, uh, it could further destabilize the Inter-American Commission. So what's the likelihood of a decision based on the facts and not um, and on the legal analysis and not on the politics. Right. So if we could for a minute pretend that the, the political difficulties didn't exist, the inter-American case law, beginning with uh, the Awastigni case against Nicaragua and then up to the Saramaca decision from 2008, really, really counsel for uh, for victory for, for the indigenous and Afro-descendant communities of Nicaragua. Uh, their collective rights to land and their collective rights to a, a decent life are all jeopardized by this project. And, and even, you know, uh, even if you look outside the inter-American system where, where, this, where this case law is very you know, strong and detailed, even if you go back to, say, the UN documents, um, the, the UN declaration that you mentioned earlier, uh, which only calls for consent in limited circumstances, even in those limited circumstances, right, um, these communities have every right to, to essentially veto the project until uh, their consent is obtained. Why? Because the UN Declaration on the Rights of Indigenous Peoples uh, requires that uh, consent consent needs to be obtained in two scenarios. One, when the project will result in the community's relocation, right? And so thousands of, of individuals and many communities stand to be relocated from their traditional lands. And second, in situations involving the storage or disposal of toxic waste. So we don't know whether that is going to be an issue, but certainly their relocation. So even um, e- even in more in less protective instruments, right, such as the UN Declaration on the Rights of Indigenous Peoples, and then the stronger jurisprudence from the inter-American system, which is directly applicable uh, to to Nicaragua, consent is required, and so consent cannot be eluded by Nicaragua. The Inter-American Court of Human Rights in 2012, in its decision of Sarayaku versus Ecuador, which concerned Ecuador's exploration and exploitation of crude oil from the Amazon region, wherein the Sarayaku indigenous people have ancestral claim, held that Ecuador failed to obtain free, informed and prior consent of the Sarayaku and thereby violated their right to communal property and cultural identity. 
The court also held that Ecuador violated their right to life by its oil exploitation activities, including the planting of explosives in their territory. Is this decision relevant and binding to the current case against Nicaragua, which also failed to properly consult its indigenous communities and plans to effectively destroy their ancestral lands? Uh, okay, so any decision from the court, yes, is 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 binding on the commission in the sense that it's authoritative. It's an authoritative interpretation of the American Convention that the commission must heed. So yes, Sariaco decision from 2012 um, is also relevant uh, to to this case of the Nicaraguan Canal, and definitely. It should be taken into account by the commission. Uh, to be honest, I was a bit disappointed by Sarayaku um, in terms of its its articulation and development of indigenous rights. Uh, it acknowledged these three safeguards that we spoke about earlier, right? Effective participation, reasonable benefits, the impact assessment, but it missed the chance to develop and to strengthen the consent standard. It really just sort of left it alone. Of course, it didn't overrule consent or say consent wasn't important, uh, but it just didn't take the opportunity to, to truly develop this all-important standard, I think. On the other hand, Sariaku does help Nicaraguan indigenous communities and Afro-descendant communities in the sense that it expanded consultation rights. In previous cases by the Inter-American Court, um, the court had focused mainly on the state obligation to ensure consultations before land projects and development projects, much like the Nicaraguan Canal. But Sariaku, what it did was it emphasized that this right to consultation goes much further right? It's not just with respect to land. It extends to, and I quote, any administrative or legislative measure that may affect indigenous and tribal rights, unquote. So really, it's a, it's a broader expression of consultation rights, of effective participation rights for indigenous and tribal communities. So that certainly applies uh, to the Nicaraguan situation, and it could certainly bolster uh, their case before the commission. Right. So in the current case before the commission, Nicaragua has failed to adequately involve participation of its communities. It's failed to show that the communities will have reasonable benefits and that the canal will have reasonable benefits for Nicaragua. And it's Mm -hmm. failed to undertake an environmental impact assessment. So it just seems that on all counts, it's just, (laughs) it it has no way of winning this case on a legal basis. Absolutely. And and to go back to your point about the environmental assessment, um, as you noted, there was a there was an assessment that was conducted by a British firm um, that recently, or you know, within within a few a uh, few months ago, was made public. Um, but there is many problems with with this environmental assessment. First of all, the most clear being that. It was conducted after the law was passed, right, which granted the concession. So it was already a foregone conclusion that the land rights would, would be compromised. And then secondly, I've, I've heard from different experts in, in Nicaragua that the study itself had problems with its methodology, uh, may not have consulted enough with, with the affected communities, may not have taken enough factors into account in arriving at its conclusions. And then third, if you think about it, even having this assessment doesn't guarantee that Nicaragua will eventually follow its its recommendations, flawed though they may be, or limited though they may be, when Nicaragua finally goes about constructing the canal. Now, when you submit a petition to the Inter-American Commission on Human Rights, how does that then follow through to the Inter-American Court of Human Rights? 
Right. So I, ideally, our petition could get passed on to the Inter-American Court. In that sense, it could become uh, binding as a court order uh, in the United States or in any other country would be. Right. And then Nicaragua would, would not even have any excuse or, or pretext for evading the order. But in order to get to the court, it requires pretty special circumstances. Uh, because this case involves essentially uh, an injunctive uh, uh, approach, right? We're looking for precautionary measures. It's not involving any decision on the merits. So the only track for the commission to get this petition to the court would be if the commission decided that the situation was serious enough that it would it would just bypass issuing a, an order and and take it right to the court. And the court itself could issue what are called provisional measures. Um, which, which again, will be binding. So everything has to go through the commission. Bec- because the commission has been slow to respond uh, to our advocacy up to this point, we feel that it's unlikely that it would send the petition to the court, which receives – the commission acts as a filtering mechanism, and the court receives a very low percentage of petitions that are originally lodged um, with the commission. And then, you know, in parallel fashion, we're trying to pursue our advocacy in other directions and other fora as well. Um, other international human rights fora, we've submitted a request with the UN Special Rapporteur on the rights of indigenous peoples. Um, because again, as we, were, as we were saying before, not only are uh, norms involving uh, human rights in the inter-American system in the Americas being violated here, but also UN principles and legal norms. So we've asked the UN Special Rapporteur to also intervene in this case uh, to issue an urgent appeal and try to influence uh, the development of this, of this Nicaraguan uh, canal initiative. Now, if the canal is found not to be in violation of international human rights law, how would that impact the development and enforcement of rights under international law? Yeah, um, it, it, this, is, this is very difficult, right, because it gets back to our, our conversation about the tension between, you know, what the law says and then all the obstacles for realizing that law sometimes seem almost insurmountable uh, political obstacles in this particular case, right? I mean, if the project does move forward, the commission and other human rights institutions like the UN Special Rapporteur, they have to make a pronouncement. Why? Because it's such a flagrant violation of the indigenous and Afro-Caribbean communities' rights, particularly their collective rights to land, but I would argue even further because their land is their life. It also violates or, or may endanger and jeopardize the rights, the rights to life. So because of the dire consequences and because the law is so clear, the commission and, and human rights institutions have to make a pronouncement if the project moves forward. And up till now, you know, I think the commission uh, and, and perhaps the special rapporteur have, have, have bought some time because, uh, as you may have seen, um, there's been delays associated with, associated with the canal. Um, the Wang Jing, the, the, the Chinese billionaire who's, who's mainly funded the initial developments for the canal, ha- has lost a lot of his fortune on the Chinese stock market. So there's been some delays over this last year. But once, once things are renewed and, and there's a good chance that they will be renewed, then these international human rights mechanisms have to, have to make a pronouncement simply because it, it's so clear, right, the violation to, to their rights. And, and the effects are so drastic. I, I believe that not only will they lose their ancestral lands, but they, the Rama people may even lose their language. Is that correct? Absolutely. It's the land and the culture that all hang in the balance here. Well, 
I really hope that the UN Special Rapporteur for Indigenous Peoples and the Inter-American Commission on Human Rights also has the same opinion and will put the law and morality in front of politics uh, and Mm. help these Indigenous peoples. Well, thank you so much for your time today, Thomas. I really... I really appreciate it to have you here oh, and, and provide your views on gravity. It's my pleasure, and I and I appreciate the opportunity to talk about this issue because I think that uh, the Nicaraguan Canal has been overlooked um, in the United States uh, and in many places in the world, and it, it really needs to be taken seriously just because of uh, these fundamental rights that are at risk. I believe so too, which is why I'm doing a podcast on this. I, I actually am a little flabbergasted that it hasn't received the media attention that it should have. It, it's mm-hmm. going to have such an impact that, uh, and such a drastic and unfortunate impact that it should really be a world headline. But uh, it's actually very hard to find material on the Nicaraguan Canal. Yeah, absolutely. And I would I would conclude also by saying that even if the you know many people are skeptical that this enormous project will ever get completed, and that's a possibility, right? That the 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 the, that the developers in the state of Nicaragua may stop short or well short, but the the underlying problem still remains, which is the sovereignty of, of Nicaragua has been disrupted by uh, this this Chinese corporation. And so as a result, they have already ceded the rights to the land. They go all along the canal route to this corporation, right? So the the rights to land, to culture, uh, to collective ancestral properties have already been infringed upon, regardless of whether or not the canal proceeds. So they can always build in the future hotels, resorts, seaports, etc., highways, and and they'll still be within their rights, according to this contract, this law that was passed with the support of, of President Ortega. Right. So whether the canal gets built or not, the indigenous peoples will have oh, lost sure. their ancestral lands and their rights have been infringed. That, yes, this, this law has already damaged, has already, has already taken away their rights. Well, that is unfortunate, and I hope that we will find a remedy soon. Yeah, absolutely. That was Professor Thomason Kowiak, International Law and International Human Rights Law Professor at Seattle University's Law School. Please join us for part two of the Nicaraguan Canal, in which we will focus on the environmental catastrophe that will result from the canal's construction and Nicaragua's potential breach of international environmental law. I hope you have found this podcast insightful and will join us next time as we explore more issues affecting our environment and human rights at home and around the world. For more materials on this issue, please go to our website, thegravity.fm.